Luke 18, Parable of the Persistent Widow. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will certainly give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Amen. Several years ago, Paul Harvey on his radio show uh, shared a story about a three-year-old little boy. He was going to the grocery store with his mom. But before they entered the grocery store, mom took the little boy aside and she said, now you're not going to get any chocolate chip cookies this time, so don't even ask. And then she put him in the cart, and he sat in the little child's seat while she wheeled up and down the aisles. And he was doing just fine. He was in control of himself until they got to the cookie section. And he saw the chocolate chip cookies, and he stood up in his seat, and he said, Mom, Mom, may I have some chocolate chip cookies? And she said to him, I told you not to even ask. You're not going to get any cookies. And so he sat back down. And they continued down a few more aisles, up and down, up and down. But in their search for other items, they ended up back in the cookie aisle. Mom, Mom, may I please, may I please have some chocolate chip cookies? I told you that you may not have any chocolate chip cookies, said Mom. And so he sat back down again. Finally, they were approaching the checkout line. And the little boy sensed that this may be his last chance. And so just before they got into line, he stood up in the seat of his cart and he shouted in his loudest voice, In the name of Jesus, could I please have some chocolate chip cookies? And everybody around them in the store burst out laughing. And the story ends that mom and the little boy ended leaving the store with 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies. Now, if you've worked with children at all in your life, you know and understand the purpose of persistence. Last week, we started the new year with a sermon series on prayer. We looked at how we're called to pray at all times, in the good times, in the difficult times, and even in the times of weakness when we don't feel like we have the energy to pray. 
And our text tonight points to persistence in our prayers. But that raises some questions for us. If God knows all things, if God desires to give his children good things, and if God hears our first request, then why do we have to keep asking? Why must we persist in prayer? If he is a good God and is ready to give us good things, and he hears us every time we pray, why do we have to keep praying over and over again? We're persistent in our prayers because prayer changes us. If we take our text this evening at at face value, we'd think that prayer would change God's mind. But Jesus is not using this parable to describe God at all. He's using it to show how much better our God is as compared to this judge and how prayer changes us. The parable begins with the reason why Jesus shared it. To show that they should always pray and never give up. Prayer is where we meet with God. He has given us prayer to be in touch with him. Because we can never be all that God has planned us to be unless we're in touch with him. Because we will never be everything that God has designed for us, all the things that he has purposed for us, unless we're in communication with him. Prayer enables us to draw on the limitless resources of the grace of God. Every day, not just in the hardship, but every single day of our lives. And so Jesus tells us always pray, never give up. Now, the parable starts with a description of a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. You see, judges in Jesus' day were known to be corrupt. They would take bribes from people before giving their decision. So if you had a lot of money, you could get the judge to say whatever you wanted. And Jesus makes it clear that this judge didn't care about the moral law, Or social justice. He was blinded by his own power. Not too different from today, honestly. He was a people pleaser. He was concerned with himself. He wanted people to like him. He wanted people to like his opinions. He liked his own comfort. The Greek word that Jesus used here actually means wicked. He called this judge wicked. He was an unjust and wicked judge. But then we're introduced to the widow. And all we're told about her is that she lives in the same city and that she's being denied justice because she comes repeatedly over and over and over. Now, from the start, our widow has three strikes against her as she seeks for her justice. First of all, she's a woman. Women in Jesus' day were worse than second-class citizens. They were the lowest on the totem pole, so to speak. She was also a widow, which means that the only man that could have stood up for her to fight for her was dead. But also being a widow meant that she had nobody to provide for her financially. So she was most likely 
financially strapped. She was one of the poor. She was unable to bribe the judge like all the others. She was completely helpless. She was destitute with no chance for her cause to be heard. But that didn't stop her. She knew the only one who could help her, even though she couldn't help herself. And she was persistent. She came day and night before the judge, pleading and begging that her case be heard. The judge finally threw up his hands in disgust and frustration. Be clear, he did not act for moral reasons. We already know he didn't care about God. He had no religion. He had no fear of God. He didn't care about social justice. He cared only about himself. He simply had a job as a judge, which he did reluctantly. But he did have limits to his patience. So finally, he decided to give her justice, just to get rid of her. In the words, to get her off my back. I'll do what she wants, just to shut her up, get her out of here. He was tired of her wearing him out with her pleading. The widow's persistence resulted in her request being granted. Then in verses 6 through 7, Jesus calls our attention to the whole point of the parable. Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? If an unrighteous and wicked judge finally answers a pestering widow's pleas for help, shall not God answer his own children who cry out to him day and night? Well, the expected answer is, of course he will. He's God. God listens to his children, and he responds to their prayer. We appear before God, not as strangers, but as his children. Think about that. The creator of the universe. And you come before him with your requests as his child. What human parent would turn away the company of their child that comes to them? Not a very good one. Not a very loving one. But our Heavenly Father, He accepts us warmly. He welcomes us into His presence. See, prayer is our channel of communication between us and God. Prayer develops a closeness with the Lord. It develops an openness to His grace. It deepens our faith and hope and love, which in turn empowers us to face the challenges that come at us day after day. That's why not only does prayer matter, but persistence matters. Because persistence draws us to the true center of prayer. And the center of prayer is not a something, it's a someone. Persistence deepens our relationship with God. It compels us to examine 
what our heart is really saying to him. Do we want God's will? Do we want God even more than what we are asking for? That's a tough question. If God gives us everything we ask for, like a child in the grocery store asking for a cookie over and over, we'll just become spoiled children. We'll be treating our Heavenly Father like a genie in a bottle and not the Heavenly Father that He is. That would serve to only make us more self-centered, more self-righteous, more unloving. That doesn't line up with God's plan at all. One of our problems with prayer is in its timing of God's reply. Verse 8 says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. When we hear the word quickly, we think, oh yeah, fast, fast. Lord's idea of quickly And our idea of quickly are very different. We operate on a timeline, but the Lord operates outside of time. Quickly has an entirely different meaning. You see, sometimes the Lord responds quickly. Actually, I would say he always responds quickly. But it's not always revealed to us quickly until he deems that we're ready for the revelation. Look at Abraham and Sarah. 25 years they waited for God to answer their prayer of a son and fulfill that promise. 25 years. Have any of you been praying that long for something? I'm sure you have. God answers prayers on his timing not ours. You see, persistence in prayer demands patience. It demands waiting. Persistence is the ground of our spiritual growth. It's the ground of our spiritual vitality and health. Because, honestly, our natural inclination is just to use God, not love Him. Persistence brings us to a place of loving God, not using God. Persistence purges our desires. It purifies them. Author Henry Nguyen described it this way. You must be patient until your hands are completely open. Are we open to releasing our plan in order to accept his plan? Sometimes we hold on really tight for a really long time. And God says, I've answered it, but you can't let go of your own plan to see it yet. Wow. Perhaps God desires to give you exactly what you have asked for. But only in a time and in a way that the gift can actually benefit you and not harm you. God uses persistence in prayer to purge our desires. It forces us to examine ourselves and our motive for praying. Why do you pray? 
Do you view prayers as a divine insurance policy? Oh, if I want God's blessing, I better pray for this. I better pray for it. Do we view prayer as a religious duty? Because, of course, a good Christian is supposed to pray every day. Oh, and I missed yesterday, so I better pray twice today just to make sure it's all good. Do we use prayer more like a Hail Mary pass in football, just hoping it's going to land in the right spot? Or do we use prayer the way God intended it to be used? To sit at his feet, to sit in his very presence, soaking up his peace, soaking up his joy and the strength that only he can bring to us. Is that the view of prayer that draws us into persistence? Because that's what it's supposed to do. Our persistence in prayer is an outpouring of, I just want to sit in his presence and enjoy my heavenly father. Because persistent prayers reveal to us who God is and who we are in light of his glory. That's what persistent praying will do for us. He uses it to mold us He uses persistent prayer to transform us, to transform our desires, and to change how we pray. Sometimes even what we're praying for. So that we grow closer and closer to his will, opening up our hands of our own. Maybe you've prayed for years for family members or friends to come to the Lord. Maybe to have a good marriage. And then it doesn't happen. Maybe a marriage ends up in divorce. And you say, but Lord, I've been praying for this. It happened anyway. So then you change your prayers. Lord, may this be something that draws them closer to you. That's persistent praying. It draws us closer to our Father. And it opens us up to his plan instead of our own. After I had my brain surgery, I wasn't allowed to drive because I had seizures. But I liked driving. And so every day, I would pray, Lord, can I drive? Can I drive? And I'd have another seizure and another seizure and another seizure. And you're supposed to be six-month seizure-free before a doctor will sign off on you driving. But I never stopped praying because I had four kids under the age of 12, 13 at the time. And a mom is supposed to drive. A mom is supposed to be driving her kids here, there, and everywhere, soccer practice and theater. And, and I couldn't do any of that. And so my one prayer, Lord, I just want to drive. Can I please, please drive? And then four years into not being able to drive, and I was still praying, Lord, I just, can I get in the car? I just want to drive. And then there's one day, four years in, no driving. And I remember it so clearly. And he said to me, he said, if you could just stop looking at what you cannot do, and for a moment look at what I can do, maybe you'll see the big picture. 
I was pretty humbled in that moment. But the next week, one of the ladies that I had developed a relationship with because she would help get me place to place, she accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. I had to release my plan so God could say, do you see what I'm doing? And honestly, it was another four years before I could get in the car. It was eight years that I could not drive. And when I got to that eight-year mark, I remember that morning, and I can remember the Lord saying, okay, get in the car. And I said, today? I can get in the car today? And I was terrified because eight years I hadn't driven. And I got in that car, and I drove to church that morning. And when I turned the radio on in the car that morning, the song Overcomer by Mandisa was on the radio. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried the whole way. Thank you, Lord. I know I didn't understand it back then, but I get it. I get it. Your plan is always better. Your plan is always bigger. Even when I don't see it, I trust you. I trust you, even though I don't see the answer. I know you have an answer. I will trust you. These are the lyrics to Overcomer. The same man, the great I am, the one who overcame death, is living inside of you. So just hold tight. Fix your eyes on the one who holds your life. There's nothing he can't do. He's telling you. You're an overcomer. Stay in the fight till the final round. You're not going under because God is holding you right now. You might be down for a moment, feeling like it's hopeless, and that's when he reminds you that you're an overcomer. So don't quit. Don't give in. You're an overcomer because of him. In our persistence, God empowers us to become overcomers of the challenges and struggles that we face. Remember the Apostle Paul. He prayed three times for a thorn in the flesh to be removed. We never know what it is that was harming him. Simply that it was painful, a source of torment, a messenger from Satan is what it was called. And when God didn't answer his prayer as asked, Paul changed how he was praying. He prayed that God would help him rely on his grace, God's strength, God's power to be made more perfect in his own weakness. I know you have stories of frustration in your prayers, but take heart. Persistence isn't going to guarantee the answer that you want but it does promise that you'll get something better and you will actually be closer to the Lord through it. You will get your soul's deepest desire. You see, what I didn't realize in my eight years of not driving, what I thought was, oh, I just want to drive, I just want to drive. But honestly, my first prayer was not always, Lord, I want to drive. The first thing that always came out of my mouth was, Lord, use me. 
Lord, use me in any way that you see fit. That was really my heart's desire. But I couldn't focus on that because I could be used while I was driving. And he said, no, I can use you better not driving. See, so he was still fulfilling my heart's desire, which was to be used by him. But not in my way, in his way. And that's what persistence does. It purifies our motives. So we see what we really want. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon described prayer this way. He said, prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell for they pray so weakly with little passion or energy. Others give only an occasional jerk on the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all its might. That is persistent prayer. Prayer and faith stand together, but they also fall together. If we lose heart and we fall away from prayer, then Jesus will not find faith when he comes back. Faith is kind of the furnace of our lives. Its fuel is the grace of God. The shovel for feeding that burner is our prayer. And if we lose heart, if we lay down that shovel, stop praying, the fire of faith goes out. And without prayer, our faith withers. Prayer is our channel of communication between us and God. Develops a closeness with the Lord, an openness to his grace and the deepening of faith and hope and love so we can face day after day, struggle or no struggle. That's what the widow shows us. She's persistent and she's courageous. She recognized she had nothing. She was helpless to fix her own situation. But she knew the one who could help her. She models for us what a strong relationship with God looks like. A strong relationship that is only gained through persistent prayer. Jesus directs his final question to every one of us. How many will he find on the earth who have faith? What about you? What do you believe? Where do you stand? Because he's calling every one of us to self-examination. Do you really believe that God cares? Do you really believe that God is answering your prayer? Are you persistent in asking God for help? Because God was persistent in his love for us. That's why he sent Jesus. We're going to celebrate communion this evening. But it's such a relevant The persistent love of God. That's this. That's what this is. Jesus was persistent in his obedience to the Father to go to the cross so we could be called children of God.